Welcome to Chit Chat Money. Today we have an interview with Tim Byers. He is the co-lead of the Rule Breaker service for The Motley Fool. Uh, for those of you that are uh, Capital F Fools and you're familiar with uh, the company, that is he's filling in the shoes for David Gardner, uh, the co-founder of The Motley Fool. And you get a glimpse into his investment process today. We talk about Chewy, which is a fascinating company. He goes through it pretty thoroughly. Um, and he goes into the financial workings of a logistics business as well, which I found pretty interesting. Did you have any high points from the interview? Yeah. I mean, talking, I don't know, in general, I got a great overview of how Chewy works. I think I really understood just the competitive landscape, the ancillary services, the unit economics, the logistics stuff, and just in general, he's really good at explaining the stuff without getting too complicated over just a conversation. So I think if you listen to this, you're going to get really up to speed on how Chewy works. Certainly. Um, But before we get to the interview, we want to talk about our sponsor, Quarter. They are the investor relations app. Uh, All in one, you've got conference calls, presentations, transcripts. Uh, I've been using them frequently. I believe Brett still uses them for transcripts. You're you're more of a reader. I'm a reader. Yeah, I'm a reader, but they have the transcripts. So that's great. And it's 100% free. It's on iOS. It's on Android. You can listen to conference calls from pretty much any company you want. You can also request companies if they don't have them. Um, and go ahead, download it. It's quarter, Q-U-A-R-T-R, no E at the end. Uh, and you can also follow them on Twitter at quarter underscore app. They've got some good memes. It's a good meme page. Um, so I recommend following them. They've got some funny stuff. And I guess last note before we uh, before we move on, you can use code chitchat uh, at Seven Investing for the annual subscription. You get fifty dollars off. This may be the last chance. I think this could be our last show of the year potentially. Depends on when this be. comes out. So you know, get it while it's hot. It's going to end real soon. Chit chat, fifty dollars off. Nice little Christmas present. Yep, limited time only. They don't do this that often. So if you're going to subscribe to Seven Investing, I would do it now. All right, here's our interview with Tim Byers. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right. Today, we are welcomed by Tim Byers. He has been on the show one time before. I think maybe this might be the one-year anniversary, actually. We're getting pretty close because I remember you came on about a year ago. Uh, yep. So welcome to the show. How, uh, how have you been? How's, been? how's the year been? It's been a weird year, Ryan. Um, thanks for having me back. Appreciate you guys. Uh, good to see you, Brett. Um, it is, it's been a weird year. I mean, the market has been strange this year. I think um, we are starting to see that the market is not a, a uh, you no longer are we seeing the traditional bull market and bear market cycles. I think we're seeing like, a bull flash jump and a bear flash crash. It kind of seems like this is the year that we're sort of establishing that. And I don't really know how I feel about that, Ryan, but I guess what it means is that 
it's still a very interesting time. And I guess still an opportune time to be an investor because you're going to get way more opportunities to buy than maybe you would during, say, like a prolonged bull market where everything constantly seems to go up and to the right. Yeah. It, especially recently, it feels like I'm getting more intrigued with different companies. And uh, yeah. I know last year, when we spoke, we spoke about Snowflake and it was trading at 200 times sales at the time. Uh, today's, and it's a, it was a more of a complex business. So today's business is a little more easy to understand. Uh, and we're talking about Chewy. And so I'm curious, how'd you find Chewy? Are you a customer? Um, and then can you kind of explain the business model for anyone who doesn't know? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I love... Uh, I love animals, but don't have any. So I'm, I don't have cause to be a Chewy customer, but I'd like to believe I would be if I did have cause to be a, a Chewy customer. Um, how did I find it? I first heard this about from a colleague of mine, Emily Flippin, who I think you know. Uh, she's a wonderful investor at, at The Motley Fool and was really early on, on Chewy. So the best way to think about Chewy is it is Amazon, but for pet food, and it, it has um, it is a really interesting, extremely well-run business. the The nut of it is Chewy will ship you your your food, your treats, um, your supplies. Increasingly, it is handling other parts of the, uh, the services that pet parents and pet partners need. So that includes things like healthcare, pharmacy, um, and then upcoming insurance. So it, it's, it's handling all of the things that you would need to care for, you know, your beloved furry, furry friend, but it does so from the perspective of e-commerce. So it's a retail business. It is dependent upon really good logistics, but I would say this is one of those businesses, and we can get into this, that has um, a very well-known brand, and its brand may be, in some ways, one of its biggest moats. There are... I've. One of my um, one of my coworkers, TJ Piggott, likes to say, in my neighborhood, there are two boxes that you always see on porches: Amazon and Chewy. Those are the two you see every single day, and that is increasingly true. Chewy is a fast-growing business that's serving this cohort of um, you know pet parents uh, at a, at increasing scale. It's it's an interesting business. I like it a lot. Now, when people talk about e-commerce, the big question people have at the start is kind of how the model works. Some are, you know, fully integrated like Amazon and some are kind of these wacky, maybe two-sided marketplaces like say Wish on the other other, other end of the spectrum. Is yeah. Chewy fully vertically integrated? And can you maybe describe that quickly so people can get a perspective on how some of the costs may work of this business? Yeah, it, it's it's more of an integrated business, although they do have third parties. Um, there's a bit of an, I would not call it a two-sided marketplace, but I would call it an ecosystem. So there are two things. There are two, well, I said it's not a two-sided marketplace. It's not, but there are multiple facets of it. There's the primary business, which is pure logistics, which is basically Amazon. Um, chewy sources, uh, food, 
and supplies just like Amazon does from suppliers, makers of pet food, branded pet food, branded pet supplies, brings that in, brings it into warehouses, manages a supply chain and does you know, real logistics around delivering those products, particularly to customers who choose what's called auto ship, um, where every month they are on a subscription and they get their food from Chewy every single month. So that's one side of it. So the input costs there are payments to suppliers and then managing as a, a supply chain. So that's one part of it. And that is the majority of the business, Brett. Then the other side of it is uh, partnerships, that ecosystem partnership. So they have something called Chewy Health, where they are connecting with vets uh, around the country, particularly in, in the US. And um, in doing so, they are offering um, all sorts of you know they're they're offering telehealth treatments. They're connecting uh, vets with with pet parents. Um, they also have this new partnership with Trupanion, which is in the very early stages. There's not a lot we know about it, but the idea is that that Chewy customer list, which is over 20 million active customers, there are ecosystem partners that see value in that. So veterinarians is one. Trupanion offering health insurance is another. So there are these parallel tracks. There's that core logistics business. We are delivering pet food. And then there is, we want to keep your pet healthy and happy. And we have ecosystem partners to help us do that. So one is um, a low margin business, which is logistics. The ecosystem business, I think is slightly higher margin, but overall the gross margins on this business have been rising steadily and they're, I think they're awfully darn good. You know, right now it's around 27%. For a business that invests so much in supply chain, that's that's awfully good. Right. And in, in time, it's sort of like, you know, the Costco, Amazon retail model where the low margins almost at scale can give you that advantage. And maybe we'll talk about that a bit later too. But in general, you described it a bit, maybe some of the bull case, uh, but why do you like Chewy as an investment? The reason I like it as there's two reasons. I think that this has an underappreciated brand moat. Um, it's very easy to dismiss this idea because Amazon is a big pet food retailer. Walmart is a massive pet retailer. Grocery stores are still big sellers of pet food. So why in the world would I want to do Chewy? Because Chewy is not the low price provider they do charge a little bit more of a premium. So why would I want to do that? I'll talk about that in a second, but that's one thing that I like about it. There is real brand stickiness and loyalty, and we see some of that in the numbers. The other thing is I think it's a deeply underappreciated logistics business that has run incredibly well and is, I, I hesitate to say that it's valued cheaply, Brett, I would say, I would argue that it's valued fairly trending towards cheaply. So um, we can get into that, but let me just talk briefly about the brand. Um, that, you know, the logo, the, the fluffy C and the, and the paws and, and all that, um, Chewy tends to drive brand loyalty because they see their customer, not just as the pet parents, but as the pets themselves. And so they send things like 
birthday cards to, uh, you know, if you have a dog, they'll send a birthday card to your dog. If one of your furry friends passes away, they will send you flowers and condolences. They generate, they, they, they tug on the emotions and they sort of honor the emotional relationship that you have with this, like for a lot of, of pet parents, they do treat like we do treat sometimes our dogs like their kids. And you know what, if you've ever, um, tried to train a puppy, um, I have never done this, but I've talked to a lot of people like it, the way that they talk. I mean, I got three kids. It sure sounds like, you know, trying to raise a kid sounds really (laughs) hard, really difficult and, and very intense. And so Chewy creates these bonds by engaging customers. The other thing I will say is, and I hear this story all the time. This is probably the most common story. Chewy ships something that was either missing or it was damaged in transit or it was the wrong item. And uh, you call into Chewy and, and, and you, know, you ask, what should I do with this? Say, you keep it, donate it if you want. We'll get another one out right away. It'll cost you nothing. And they just send it right to you. So there is a service component there that goes with the, hey, we love your pet and we love you. And then when things break down, they say, no, we really mean it. You know, let's get you what you asked for and we'll ship it to you for free. So, um, you know, we, we, we want you to be happy. And that, that does seem to create some real stickiness in the customer base. Yeah, I saw uh, on the second quarter conference call, they said that they have increased share of wallet from every cohort they've added on the platform over the last 10 years. And I think that's kind of a testament to that stickiness. Um, and I guess we should also say that we are recording this a day after they reported their third quarter earnings. So we will yes. we will get to that in a second. But what kind of market um, opportunity do you think Chewy has? Because I, I know a lot of people probably think pets and they kind of uh, probably have some TAM concerns. Yeah, uh, sure. Is, do you think it's a big opportunity for them? It is, but that TAM concern is real because you're talking about, so right now, if, if we're just adjusting, you know, you, you take out 10 years, right now, Chewy has uh, 20 million, roughly. It's a little more than 20 million active customer accounts. There are roughly 80, the last reported number that I was able to get is 85 million in the US reported households uh, that have, um, you know, a, a, an animal, you know, a, an animal that they consider part of the family. Uh, and so there is a limit at which Chewy can, you know, scale up. You know, can they serve all of those households? Are they going to serve a quarter of them, a half of them? So the the argument that there's only so much further they can go, like say maybe doubling from here, like so then in ten years, what happens when they've got fifty million, you know, uh, active customer accounts? Isn't this more like maybe a four percent grow or a five percent grow over the next ten to fifteen years? And the answer to that is, well, maybe. That is a possibility. The other side of it is, unless Chewy engages with these customers at a way and they're serving a greater share of wallet, to use the term that, that they use. They think that's the, 
the the phrase that pays here. It's it's the share of wallet, not just the food, not just the treats and the toys or the clothing, but also the the vet visits, the insurance. Uh, what else can they do to serve that entire experience? And incidentally, that is a differentiator. That is something that Amazon, at least not yet, is doing. Um, could happen. So it's not like Amazon is prevented from getting into that business. But if you think about you are trying to win a customer relationship, you're not trying to win the greatest share of dog food shipments. What you are trying to win is the greatest share of spend for you know the animal, your friend that you love. I want to get as close to 100% of that as you can. Then the TAM gets much bigger. Right. And you mentioned some of the other products that they have, which one of those is that vet telehealth. Um, yep. I guess, uh, do you think that can be a meaningful revenue driver in, in the long run for the business? And then do you, do you see those ancillary products um, as something that will be a large portion of revenue um, just bro- broadly? I mean, I can see it becoming, I can see ecosystem products becoming more interesting to them over time. If Chewy becomes the de facto brand and destination here, then it becomes everything. It becomes everything from, um, you know, um, what do we call it? Like, we used to call it kenneling, and I don't think we use that term anymore, but like, you know, you go on vacation and you, Basically, you you know your your poor dog doesn't go with you, but you know he gets to go off and play with other dogs for two weeks at a at another you know sort of resort of his own, and that is something like can Chewy be in that business and have ecosystem partners that does that? Can they get into the business of you know finding and hiring for you uh, dog dog walkers, dog sitters? You know things, things like that. Um, in addition to vets, in addition to insurance um, and other types of care, could it be a big portion? I don't know. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the biggest, most important driver of growth for this business is getting auto ship from where it is today as close to a hundred percent as possible. Like there's, there is a meaningful growth curve from taking auto ship from where it's been to say like 90% if they can get to that. And all auto ship means is this is where Chewy really makes most of its margin. Because if let's say, Ryan, you have a dog and you sign up for Chewy and you set yourself on auto ship and you have an incentive to do so, it's a discount. You say every month, I'm going to order $300 worth of whatever it is for my pup. And Chewy has that, and that is predictable. There is now the sales and marketing cost for you has gone to zero. Wonderful. Now we've got margin on that. Um, We also have, um, you know, some efficiencies that we can generate because we know every single month on the following date, we can we can predict that we're going to deliver for Ryan within this three day period. So now we get to optimize logistics. That's a margin benefit. Like the marginal benefit of auto ship is enormous. And it creates as as they scale this up, not only as they expand the customer base, but they get more people on auto ship, 
the margin benefits accrue pretty fast, which means the cash flow benefits accrue, accrue pretty fast. So it's, it's in many ways an efficiency story. Um, the ecosystem stuff, I think, is always going to be an add-on. I think in the best of cases, it's a third. But we shouldn't consider the Chewy story as a compounding story unless AutoShip continues to keep moving up and to the right. And what percent are they at on AutoShip right now? Do you have that number in front of you? Yeah, it's 70.6%. So uh, where they were last year at this time was 69.2, up to 70.6. Their AutoShip customer sales uh, grew, well, I'll use the precise number, 26.7% in uh, the third quarter. Their net sales per active customer, which is one of their key metrics, they call it NESPAC. Um, that was up 15.4% year over year. And so it, their, their overall active customer base was up 14.7% year over year. So you can see just by virtue of those numbers, the auto ship numbers, that's the highest growth. And that is actually fairly close to the overall revenue growth that they enjoyed in, in the quarter. So net sales overall grew 24.1%. So really what's happening is it's that auto ship number as it grows, as that auto ship sales number grows, it really drives the the business. They can they can grow their customer account slowly and steadily, but if they also add auto ship customers along the way, it just it accrues very very quickly. Okay. And what are your thoughts on management here? I know they have the founding story of their, their, the founding team's away now. They have the, yep. uh, Ryan Cohen kind of had, you know, he was pretty famous now with the, the GameStop stuff. But what are your thoughts on the current management team as they kind of transitioned and started running this business? Yeah, I love Sumit Singh. And it's, I mean, this is a, so he's a CEO. Um, he joined in 2018 as chief operating officer. Um, it's funny. I was listening to the the Q3 call. I love that they do this, and they're unashamed unashamed about it. It's just really fun for me. So during the you know the call, he's answering questions. His dog is barking in the background. I'm like that's totally on brand. I love it. Um, <laughs> but the thing about it is, Brett, and I think this is really important. Um, Sumit Singh was general manager. And um, let me get his, his title exactly right here. I, I have this somewhere. The um, Yes. So he was the director and general manager of Amazon's North American Merchant Fulfillment and third-party businesses. And he did that for, for two years between 2013 and 2015. Uh, he was also worldwide director of the consumables business which was Amazon Fresh and Pantry between 2015 and 2017. This is a guy that knows not only retail, but he knows logistics at scale. That is so important. I cannot stress enough how important that is for this business. This is the right guy. He, not only does he, he like, he, he likes the brand. He is a pet parent. He's got puppies, you know, like he's, He's in the story. Like he he cares about pets. He, he loves it. But he's a he's a bare knuckles guy. 
And you need to be a bare knuckles guy in a bare knuckles market where you've got to know, particularly right now, where we're dealing with supply chain shortages and and disruptions. Like if I I fear to say not nothing against Ryan Cohen, but I, I I fear to say what would be happening right now to Chewy if the founding team was still in charge and they didn't have somebody who knew logistics cold. Because the fact that they do have somebody who knows logistics cold means that this quarter, even though they got whacked because they did reduce the top end of their full year guidance and their margins on the bottom lines, their EBITDA margins, their net loss margins were worse. Their free cash flow margin was worse. They had to increase you know, warehouse capacity. They had to make adjustments there. They had to pay workers more. They did. They had meaningful growth in costs because of the supply chain disruptions. But where they absorbed them, I think, is very telling at the quality of the management team. Okay. We have plenty of more questions, but we're going to hit a quick ad break before we get to them. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back in. I, I have a question that was kind of top of mind when we were going through the first half. And they sure have... If I'm not mistaken, they have their own sort of chewy brand. They do, um, yes. Branded products. How important is that to the business? And is do they break that out as a percentage of overall sales? You got to listen to the calls to hear it. What I heard is that it's 18 to 20% is private label. Uh, that's, that's, that's the penetration of the customer base that's actually buying private label. And private label overall was up 32%. In, in the quarter. So it's a minority portion of the customer base. It does appear that most of those are auto ship customers. There's a lot more they can do with their better margin private label business. Most Chewy customers, it's fair to say, are buying branded from, from Chewy. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just they would like to do better um, being able to deliver private label um, you know, at, at scale because the, the margins on that are better. But I, I will say too, they talked about this on the call, Ryan, um, private label for them is an imported product. I, I, may, I may not have this exactly right, but this is what I heard from the call. A lot of this is imported product. And so when you're dealing with supply chain disruptions, that's problematic. So in this particular quarter, you know, having a disposition towards branded product was probably probably a good thing didn't hurt them so much because you know it's it's just harder to get in your private label product when you're importing from overseas 
Makes sense. And they also, I, I want to say less than a week ago now. This, this just, week, this week. This no, week, they ago. announced a partnership with Trupanion, which I believe is a pet insurance provider. Yep. yep. Um, what all does that relationship uh, or partnership entail? So what it, what it sounds like, and the way they talked about it on the call is we should expect that, uh, I love Mark Mahaney. Who's the you know one of the the analysts at Evercore ISI? He's an old school internet analyst, and he asked this question about what does it mean for the growth profile of um, of Chewy to to have this Trupanion relationship? They still they are holding off on giving real financial details and forecasts on this, but the way they described it is that Trupanion will hold the policies. That's what they know how to do. They, they know how to write and hold policies. And where this makes sense is Chewy has a large active customer, customer list, and they have relationships with vets, meaning that together they build an ecosystem that allows for care for, for those pets. The vets are going to be you know, helping you know, serve these, these animals, keep them healthy, um, it can be very, very expensive. So Chewy becomes the portal through which not only do you find and engage with your vet, but also gives you the, you know, this other service, this insurance, so that you are unafraid to go see your vet uh, because I, I am told, you know, seeing a, a vet can, I mean, the cost can run up really, really fast. And so um, having some amount of insurance is, um, you know, is, is probably smart, but being able to, to get it through instead of like buying it from a bunch of different sources, having Chewy be the cent- central point of contact, that's kind of the idea. They have the customer relationship, the ones who are the most interested insurance buyer. So um, that's the value that Chewy brings to Trupanion. And for Chewy, the value is that it increases that share of wallet, right? Like you are going to spend in order to care for this friend that is part of the family. If that spend originates, even if it's through an ecosystem partner through Chewy, that increases the stickiness of the, the Chewy relationship. So to put a you know, I'm connecting some distant dots here, but the the greater that you view Chewy as the partner that keeps your, you know, your pet healthy, happy, thriving part of the family, the more likely it is you're going to become an auto ship customer who sticks with the brand for a really long period of time. What, what are the economics for look like for Chewy with those ecosystem partners? Is it just like a referral fee that they get? They're not very clear, especially on Trupanion. They're not really clear on that. That's my guess that there is there are referral fees here and that they're in the very early days of attacking this TAM for pet health care, you know, but as a referrer of record that you know to to a vet or for an insurance policy that Chewy gets some kind of, of referral fee for that or some other part of the spend. Um, and presumably that's, that's fairly high margin, which allows them to, you know, create a, a, you know, lift that gross margin. They've been really good at lifting their gross margin over the last few years. So what I like most about this, just from an economics perspective here, Ryan, this is the kind of thing that strikes me 
as high margin, additional incremental growth. So the unit economics are really attractive. So it makes it easier to just kind of have step changes in the growth mar- the gross margin profile that show up down at the bottom line. That's what I like about it. I don't think it becomes like a massive revenue driver, but I do think it has incremental margin benefit. It, it yeah, I know this term's probably overused, but it sounds like Chewy, the success of Chewy's core business, given them a lot of optionality um, yeah, as far as like other pet-based products. It, it's I, this is where I think it's a it's a brand mode. So let me talk just quickly about that. I, when I talk to folks who use Chewy or use Amazon, I know plenty of people who use Amazon for pet food. I also know plenty of people that use Chewy for pet food. I haven't met many. I think I've met one who was a Chewy customer. Who said it's just too expensive? I got to go back to Amazon. I know a lot of people who are at Amazon and went to Chewy and they're like, "I'm never going back." So it seems to be a one-way street, which tells me that this is largely a brand moat. Which is like, Chewy cares for my pet. They care what I think. They think about me. They're they are sending me things that are useful. Sometimes they send free stuff. And yeah, and they make it easy. And so the, the, they know that once they get you as an auto ship customer, the level of stickiness, like you're unlikely to take this thing that makes your life easier um, and shut that off unless you're really, really feeling it, you know, financially, then you'll shut it off. But otherwise, um, they seem to, by caring for you and your pet, they seem to draw people in, then they get you to auto ship. And then once they get you to auto ship, then the introduction to those other ecosystem options become very natural because Chewy is your point of record for serving your pet in the most basic way, which is feeding them. You may have mentioned this and or answered this in your last question in the last question there, but who are Chewy's main competitors and why? If anything, besides that brand stuff you just mentioned, why can they defend themselves from the Walmarts, Amazons, and Costcos of the world? Yeah, it's uh, it's a great question, and there is going to it. This is always going to be a bare knuckles fight. It really is going to be about how good Chewy can maintain its reputation at being the premium, high touch, we care type brand. They have they have to be that good. They've got to be better than Amazon and Walmart and your average grocery store. And they have to do it in a way that reduces the friction for you as a pet owner. The, the thing that's really beautiful about what, what Chewy does, in addition to the, you know, the cards and the you know, knowing your pet's name and their birthday and things like that, the thing that they do that's, that's different and better is auto ship. So it's a, it's a little bit like if I don't have to think about shopping for another of my kids, which is my dog, let me do that. That would be nice. And where, where Walmart and I, I, I don't believe that Amazon and, and Walmart can't do this, but it's a different experience. Like I don't know anybody that has 
Well, I shouldn't say that. There probably are some people that have subscription buying options through Amazon. I, I use that. It's just not, it's not as good. It's not nearly as good. I would say it's what Chewy, what Chewy okay. does. It's a lot, it's a lot. It's not as good of experience. I get like, sometimes I get too much. Sometimes I get too little. It's, it's way it. harder. And, you know, as a human, you're, you're more inconsistent in your eating habits. Right? <laughs> okay. So the, I, I mean, there is, I don't think that Walmart, Amazon, and your grocery store are designed to yeah. know you well enough to um, give you a very consistent, low friction, um, high satisfaction subscription delivery that fulfills your needs. So now it's taken something completely off of your your plate. All right. What about uh, the valuation? I guess it's come down. Yeah. A bit. What What do you What are your thoughts on it? And then. Let's, I guess we can dig in a little more to the earnings because we talked about it before the show. And I want to, I want to hear your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, so I did, and Ryan, you may remember this when um, I think we may have talked about this. Sometimes I will do revenue driven models where I could say, like, what is the required rate of revenue growth in order for this stock to multiply at a certain level? And I think Chewy is valued. Pretty fairly, I'm going to say this: in order for Chewy, now this does not factor in dilution, but just if you were going largely on the basis of revenue, I think cash flow is still a little bit wonky here. So I'm not doing a cash flow model yet, and the free cash flow yield, if you take out stock-based comp compensation, it's roughly about 0.4 percent. I don't think that's terrible considering how fast Chewy has been growing free cash flow. So that's not an unreasonable valuation. But just for a second, bear with me and let's focus on revenue. If I look at it, and if you were to do a 4X from here over the next 10 years, which is 15% annualized growth, um, figure dilution takes that down to like 12%. Um, in order for Chewy Roughly keeping the multiple to revenue it has now, let's say it goes down to two and a half, um, it can grow revenue by about 15%, maybe 16% annualized over the next 10 years and achieve pretty close to that kind of return in terms of, of share returns. You That may go down a little bit if you factor in dilution, but the the stock is priced as if yeah, you know what? I mean, I I can see this multiple, right? Today it's 2.71 times revenue. I don't think it's going to go much lower than 2.5. It could go down to 1. That's possible. If it does go down to 1, it's going to put more pressure on the business to grow a little bit faster, closer to 20 to 25%. But over the last almost 5 years, revenue has grown over 45%. I don't think that's sustainable. I do think 10 years of 15 to 20% revenue growth, that's achievable. And at that level, based on today's valuation, I don't see how Chewy does much worse than 12 to 15% compounded. And given where the market has been, I'll take that kind of return. I'll take that kind of return. I think that's pretty good. 
Yeah. What, what, uh, just one note here, what kind of earnings or cash flow margins are you assuming Chewy can get to within this model? I, I think, um, I think the gross margin model, you know, it's, it's with the ecosystem partners today, it's around 27%. I think it's fair given their peer group, they can probably get into the gross margin range of somewhere around 35%, maybe higher than that, but I don't think it needs to be much higher than that. And I, I firmly believe they can have net margins around five to 10%. And as an e-commerce provider, wouldn't surprise me if they get to 10, but five is probably fair. And somewhere in there, um, I, you know, you don't need to see a lot of compounding, you know, right now, cash from operations over 300 million, you start getting to you know, a greater degree of spend among the existing customer base and you compound that, let's say you double the active customer base from today and you generate a greater margin on that, on that customer base, the cash flow starts to really compound. So you know, 10 years from now, could this be generating two to $3 billion in annualized free cash flow? Yeah. Yeah, easily, easily. I, I could I could easily see that. So you don't need much of a free cash flow yield from that in order to see um, some pretty generous returns from here. So I I would say I would not call this one cheap, but I would say pretty. A, this is growth at a reasonable price. The thing that could blow up this thesis completely, though, guys, is if. Um, the margin between how Chewy prices and how the rest of the market prices, like if, if they just get gutted on price and they can't scale their costs effectively, that becomes problematic because remember, they do have an integrated, lengthy, um, interdependent supply chain. So if they can't manage cost at scale, and Amazon or Walmart just absolutely guts them on price. It'll be much harder to compound that uh, that customer that customer count, and it may not matter as much that they have you know these ecosystem partners. So that could break the thesis, and and just macroeconomic factors too. Like, and when you're talking about a global supply chain, you cannot discount the impact of of macro. Having said that, though. The guy that's leading the business right now has a lot of experience at this. So he's not going to be surprised by those risks. And what uh, you forgot, <clears throat> you, may, you told us to make sure to not forget uh, the working capital discussion. Do you want to talk about that? How that has been impacted in the recent quarter, how it made things, maybe people reacted poorly to that. And just thoughts on thoughts on the Q3 as well. Yeah. I mean, I, so I do want to talk about the Q3, the Q3 numbers would seem to really rattle, uh, folks during the quarter is that the, um, the margins just were not what, uh, you know, the, um, the, the street wanted or necessarily was used to, particularly the EBITDA uh, margins and the guidance around EBITDA margins. So um, quarter over quarter, gross margin, they, they did have a history of sort of gently raising their gross margin. In the latest quarter, it was down sequentially. And then the EBITDA margin was worse. It would like it has scaled downward. The EBITDA margin was like 
So four quarters ago, it was 1.1%. Uh, then it was 1.8% in uh, Q1 of 2021. Then it went negative for Q2 to 0.8%. And then this quarter, it was negative 1.4%. So there were increased costs. They paid more for labor. They paid more for their shipping costs. Uh, they, the supply chain disruptions had a, it, it did take a toll. But I think when you look at the cash flow statement, and yeah, I, I thank you for that reminder. Um, in this kind of market, um, Chewy is still generating meaningful cash flow. And when you look at how they're generating cash flow, primarily, What's happening is they're getting big benefits, over $160 million worth of benefits over the trailing year in working capital management. In other words, they saw it coming. The supply chain disruptions were there. They were going to be there. There were going to be extra labor costs. So they have worked with their suppliers. They have worked with the people they've got to pay. And essentially, I mean, this is the way I'm interpreting it, but essentially said, look, you're going to have to work with us here. Uh, we need to figure out how to survive this together. We're going to pay you. Maybe we're going to pay you on slightly different terms. And as a result of that, payables, trade trade payables in particular, are a huge contributor, huge contributor to cash flow. So when you manage the capital you have to work with really well, which every CEO should do, but particularly if you're in a low margin bare knuckles business and you manage it really well, you should probably get more credit for that. And I, I don't think with the sell-off we're seeing, there isn't enough credit being given to Chewy and Chewy management as understanding the kind of market they're in and taking steps to manage the capital that they have very carefully. Another thing we can look at, for example, they don't, and, and this is something they can use later on to really scale their growth. But right now, they're not carrying any corporate paper. They don't carry debt. They have operating leases, you know, around 340 million, I think is what I looked at. It's it's not quite 400 million dollars in operating leases because they have warehousing, they've got supply chain, they've got logistics, but they're not carrying debt, they're not carrying interest-bearing debt. They're just generating free cash flow. And using that to be very careful about how they create, you know, in reinvest in in the business and not overextend themselves in a market where there's there just isn't a lot of visibility at the moment. I, I think they should get more credit for that. Okay, last question. If if you had to write a short report for Chewy today, if you were if you were sort of inverting it and you're on the flip side, what, yeah. what would that report consist of? It would consist of the um, the size of the competitors and the scale and capital they have to bring to bear on this market. It would also talk about COVID growth. I mean, COVID did really. There was a pet explosion in um, in the United States when we were all locked up. A lot of people got you know new members of the family to keep us company. That is new. Growth absolutely exploded during that period. You have to figure that it's going to normalize. I think it is normalizing a little bit. But if, if you were writing a short report, you should say we're not being 
as respectful as we should be of how much this growth could normalize or decline. And then I think the the last thing I would say is there are a lot of independent factors here. Sumit Singh may be amazing, but we are talking about a global supply chain here. There is only so much he control. He can control. There are only so many levers that he can pull, and he is trying to build an interdependent supply chain. He doesn't get to control. Like they're not Apple, they don't get to control everything here. So macroeconomic, they will be more subject to macro macro macroeconomic factors. And if this continues over a longer period of time, if inflation goes higher and stays higher, um, there's going to be a lot more to manage. And it could take a toll. Maybe the last thing I'll say, that was going to be the last thing. Um, You could argue that Chewy's understanding and presumptions around the TAM are, are aggressive. Like, do we really think that they could get 40 million or greater active customers given that there are 85 million, you know, pet parent households in the United States, that might be aggressive. I'm not sure that I would feel too strongly making that argument because I think those 20 million plus active customers, there's probably more than one active. I mean, it's it's probably one per household, but uh, you know, I'm I'm a little more dubious of that. I do think we're not going to see the humanization of pets go away. And I do think we're going to see more pets, not fewer. So I don't feel real strongly about the TAM argument, but I could see making the TAM argument. Okay. All right. I think that's all the questions we have. If listeners want to uh, hear more from you, read more from you, what's the best place to do that? Well, I mean, it's that I'm, I know I'm, I'm going to sound like, old man shouting from the the rooftops here saying this, but I'm not on Twitter or Facebook or any of those places. I am on LinkedIn, uh, but the best way to find me is uh, at uh, The Motley Fool. Sometimes I'll write stuff for the free site um, and you'll see me appear on a podcast like this or The Motley Fool podcast. I try to, I try to do my job and not draw too much attention to myself guys um (laughs) but that's um i leave that to smarter people like you but i um yeah i I, but yeah the motley fool is probably the best way to 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 reach me this is just doing stuff like this is just i like having the fun conversations around it all right perfect All right. I think that's going to do it. Uh, We want to remind our listeners that we are not financial advisors. Brett and I are not. uh, We are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital. So clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. 